you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the 16th chapter of the Bible's history book, the book of Acts. And tonight we want to continue in a sermon series entitled, When God Opens the Door. God is a God who wants to open the door for the gospel to go into the lives of people, into the homes of people, into the nations of people, whereby they might be saved. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And in this series, we're looking at how to share our faith with different types of people, groups of people, as God so opens the door for us to do so. And tonight we're learning how to share our faith with our enemies. Sharing our faith. Not with our friends, not with our acquaintances, not with our good old boys, but sharing our faith with our enemies. 16th chapter of Acts, beginning with verse 22. And the crowd in a fury rose up all together against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered that their clothes be taken off, and they were to be beaten. When they had many stripes laid upon their back, Paul and Silas were cast into prison. And the jailer who was in charge of them was told them to keep them under watch and to keep them safe. When he received that order, verse 24, he thrust them into the inner prison. That's interesting. He took them into the deepest part of the prison. And he put stocks, chains upon their feet. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas began to pray, and they sang praises to God, and everyone in that prison could hear them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken or rocked, and immediately all the doors of all the cells were opened up supernaturally, and everyone's chains fell off them, whoever they would be. And the jailer who was asleep was awakened. And seeing all the cell doors open and all the the stocks and chains having fallen off all the prisoners, he assumed that they were all going to flee. And if they fled, he would be put to death. So rather than be put to death by the Romans, he decided he would take his own life. He would commit suicide. But before he had a chance to do that, the Apostle Paul cried out from that inner cell, Do thyself no harm, for we all are here. Nobody has left. We're all here. We're all here. The jailer then called for a light, verse 29, and he ran and he came to where Paul and Silas was and he fell down. He took them out of the cell and he asked them a question. You'll never ask a better question than this. What must I do to be saved? 
I want to be saved. What must I do to be saved? And you'll never get a better answer than this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And if you get saved, your family will follow. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, and to all of those that were in his house that evening. And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized, not just him, but his entire family. And after he had brought them into his house, he set a meal before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Verse 35, an interesting verse. And when it was the next day, the magistrate sent word to the jailer, We have made a mistake. Let these men go and let them go quickly. Lest we get in trouble with the Roman government. Now, I want you to think about all of that, just kind of digest it. You say, Pastor, what translation were you reading out of? The Jim Palmer Amplified Version. (laughs) If you had a King James, you were following me. If you had another translation, basically, what I was doing is just helping you understand the story. But in the story we just read, Paul and Silas have been beaten and they've been tossed into prison. And the Lord brings the first jailhouse rock. So you thought Elvis did the first jailhouse rock. Well, the Lord did. The Lord brought a jailhouse rock and shook that prison. And the door of the cells of that prison all flew open. And the shackles that were on the prisoners all fell off. And in all of the commotion and confusion... Paul and Silas said, let's get out of here, boys. And they all left the prison. Is that what we read? Some of you going, no, we didn't read that. Right? No, wrong. Though Paul and Silas were in prison, though they were in shackles, though an earthquake came and their cell door was open and the shackles fell off, they did not leave the cell. Nobody else did either. This was a supernatural earthquake. And God was at work in it all. They decided to stay in the jail. Because Paul and Silas knew that they were in jail. Because it was the will of God they'd be in jail. And it was the desire of God that they be witnesses to a jailer who wanted to know how to be saved, though he didn't know it quite yet. You say, Pastor, did I hear you correctly? You're saying it was God's will? You're saying it was God's desire that Paul and Silas, two of his choice servants, be wrongly arrested, wrongly imprisoned, Wrongly put in stocks and chains? Are you saying that's what God wanted? That's exactly what I'm saying. And because they walked with God, they knew that. 
God wanted to use that situation and he wanted to use his two men to witness to a jailer that his soul might be saved. And not just him, his entire family. Now I want you to take a moment to think about this jailer. Because our message is sharing our faith with our enemies. This jailer was no friend of Paul and Silas. Now he did not know Paul and Silas before this. But word has come to him that two prisoners will be delivered to him that are rabble-rousers, troublemakers. So he doesn't know Paul and Silas at this moment, but he's heard about him as they're put in his custody. May I also say to you, he doesn't like Paul and Silas. They're criminals in his mind. They have broken the law in some way, shape, or form. That's why they're coming to him. And having dealt with criminals all of his life, he's cynical and he has a lot of hatred toward those kind of people. Whenever you deal with the lower parts of society, it can make you that way. And he's that way. He's cynical, he's skeptical, he's cold, he's cruel. These are just criminals. I don't like them and I don't know them. And thirdly, not only does he not know Paul and Silas, but he knows the rabble-rousers. Not only does he not like Paul and Silas because he believes they're criminals, but he is inhumane to Paul and Silas. When they arrive at that prison, they have been beaten almost short of their life. I mean, they have taken lashings with a whip. Their backs are split open like you would split open a, an animal's, like a hog. I mean, they look like a human barbecue. They've got stripes all over their back. They've got cuts all over their back. There's blood everywhere. Do you think he puts any bandages on those cuts? Do you think he puts any salve on those wounds? No. He doesn't do anything to help him. He's just inhumane. He doesn't care. He's also brutal to Paul and Silas. Because he throws them in the inner prison. In that day, prisons had two sections. They had the outer prison, the inner prison. He could have put them in the outer prison. That wasn't a country club, but it was better than the inner prison, which was basically a hole. A hole that was dark and wet and cold. A hole where the sewage of the prison and the city ran through. It's not a stretch of the imagination that Paul and Silas were sitting in human waste. Rats and roaches everywhere. They couldn't see. They were cold. They were wet. They were tired. They were hungry. And their bodies were extremely weak from the beatings that they had taken. And on top of that, he puts stocks on their ankles. Stocks. At best, stocks are abrasive and irritating because they're, they're fastened to your ankles and every time you move, they rub. At worst, they're extremely painful and can get infected. So this, this Roman jailer, do you understand, he's no friend to Paul and Silas by any means. And in his mind, he's already tried them. 
They're guilty as charged. They probably are going to be executed. Quite frankly, I don't care. And that's his attitude. The jailer was mean. He was vindictive against Paul and Silas. He looked at them as his enemies. That's how he saw them, their enemies. And therefore they deserve to be mistreated and tormented. But Paul and Silas have been sent in the will of God, by the desire of God, to be a witness to this man that is their enemy. Did you hear that? It was God's will and God's desire that His two servants go to witness to what will be their enemy. Now, I want you to think about that. Because we have enemies, do we not? We all have people in our mind and heart right now that we just dislike. They have made us mad. They have done done us wrong. They've never apologized. They've never had any remorse. They have hurt us. And we don't like them to say it mildly. We don't even want to see them and talk to them. Much less witness to them. And if the truth was to be known, friends, if you and I had our choice, we would say, let the wrath of God fall on them and let them go to hell. That's sobering, isn't it? But that's how we think and treat our enemies. We are not concerned about their soul. But God is. And may I remind you and myself of something? Do you know that at one time we were enemies of God? Yeah, you and me. The Bible says that we hurt God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We've hurt God with our sin. Sin breaks the heart of God. And not only have we hurt God with our sin, but we were alienated from God by our sin. Paul, writing in Colossians, speaks of that alienation. And that alienation made us enemies of God. Can you imagine that one time we were hurt God and we were enemies of God? Do you know that? And yet, what did God do to us, His enemies? He loved us. For God so loved the world that was so against Him, you and I. And Jesus died on the cross for His enemies. When he said, Father, forgive them, they know what what they do. You know that prayer included you and me? He was shedding his blood and dying. He was shedding his blood and dying for your sin and my sin. Enemies of God. And then the Holy Spirit was sent to us. 
and His Spirit witnessed to our spirit that we could understand what took place on that cross. And then God saved us. What is so freely given to us, should we not so freely give to others? Should we? In many ways, what Paul and Silas were doing was returning the favor to God. When you witness to your enemies, you're returning a favor to God that He showed to you. When you, as an enemy, He chose to save and make a son and daughter of His. Now, having said all of that, two points. Tonight, I'd like to share with you about this subject of sharing our faith with our enemies. From the text that we've read, there's two things I think jump out that I hope you and I can use at some point. The first thing is this. If we're going to witness to our enemies, we must make it obvious and we must make it clear to them and to all that we are followers of Jesus. You say, that's it? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. If we're going to be a witness to our enemies and have an opportunity to testify to them one day, then we have to make it very obvious to them and actually to everybody that we are followers of Jesus. Notice verse 25. The jailer has put them in the inner cell. That's the hole. He's put their feet in stocks. And then it says in verse 25, after he's done all of that, Paul and Silas begin to grumble and cuss. (laughs) No, that's not what it says. Some of you are going, I (laughs) think. Some of y'all don't know I kid with you sometimes. Y'all take all this serious. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And the implication is the jailer heard them too. It's interesting they were put in the hole because in the hole you get in an echo. If they had been put in the outer prison, not everybody would have been able to hear them. But in the inner prison, the way it was structured, their voice would have a carry to it, an echo to it. And because of that, what they were about to do would be heard throughout the entire prison by the jailer himself. What are they doing? They're worshiping the Lord. You know, you don't have to be in church to worship the Lord. You can worship the Lord anywhere. And Paul and Silas are in First Baptist prison. And they're having a prayer meeting. They're in church. They're praying to the Lord. They're testifying of the Lord. They're quoting scriptures from the Bible. They're praising God. They're shouting. They're singing. They're having a revival. And when the praises to God go up, 
you can expect God to reply. And He did. When praise comes up, the power comes down. And God rocked that prison. But He rocked it in such a way that while all the cell doors opened and all the, the, the handcuffs and all the shackles fell off, His Spirit kept everyone in their cell. Not just Paul and Silas who chose not to leave, but he kept all the prisoners in their cell. But though they could escape, they were held back from doing so. As Paul and Silas are singing in the midnight concert, it's obvious, it's bold, it's without shame, it's without apology. They love Jesus. No doubt about it. They're not ashamed of Jesus. They love Him. We need to make that clear to everyone that knows us. We love Jesus. Because it's through love that you can reach people sometimes who dislike you or hate you or you dislike them or hate them. Story is told of a little boy that was in a restaurant with his family. His mother was a single mother and she had three children. And after they placed their order, she asked her little boy, who was the oldest of the children, he was about seven or eight years old, she asked him if he would say grace. And he did so. And he prayed something like this. You know, children pray simple prayers. And I believe God honors simple prayers too. He said, Lord, thank you for my mommy. Thank you for my brother. Thank you for my sister. Thank you that you provided some money that we could have lunch today. And Lord, it sure would be nice if after lunch you would provide some ice cream. <laughs> Amen. Well, a lady that was sitting not too far from their table, she heard the little fellow's prayer. And she became very irritated. And she said loud enough where the little boy could hear. She said, his mother ought to teach him better than that. God ain't got time for his silly, irrelevant prayers. If he was my boy, I would spank him. And she said that loud enough that she knew he could hear that. And that little boy began to cry. And he went over to his mother and he said, Mom, I'm so sorry I did wrong. And his mother said, You did not do wrong, son. And while she's consoling him, a man all of a sudden appears. Maybe he was in the restaurant, they didn't see him, but nobody recalls having seen him. And he walks up to the table and he says, Son, I know the Lord. And I want you to know he heard your prayer. And it pleased him. And I want you to know that he's going to provide you some ice cream. Ice cream is good for the soul. God's going to provide you some ice cream. He patted the little boy on the shoulder, beckoned goodbye, and as quickly as he came, he left. Well, sure enough, when the meal was over, 
the ice cream came. The mother said, well, I didn't order this. And the waitress said, well, it's taken care of. And so they all had their ice cream there. And the little boy, he's thinking. And as he's thinking and he's looking at his ice cream, he does something that's kind of unusual. He gets up out of his seat. And he takes the ice cream over to that lady who said such a hurtful thing about him. He said, ma'am... This ice cream is for you. A man came to our table and he told me that ice cream is good for my soul. Well, ma'am, my soul's okay. My soul's good. Maybe it'll help yours. (laughs) People need to know. People need to know. That we love Jesus. Even our enemies need to know we love Jesus. That brings us to the second point. As we seek to witness to our enemies. And it's found in verse 27 and 28. We must let people know. That we care. We must make it obvious to people that we love Jesus. And we must make it obvious to people that we care about them. In verse 27 and 28, the keeper of the prison, the jailer, is awakened out of his sleep by the jailhouse rock. As the prison doors open, the Bible says, he drew out his sword. He didn't draw out his sword so he could go kill the prisoners. He drew out his sword so he could stab himself and take his own life. Because a jailer in that day who was given responsibility of prisoners, that responsibility he was well paid for. But if a prisoner escaped out of his prison, he was responsible. And the consequence of someone escaping out of a Roman prison, if you were the jailer, was you were put to death. It kept you on your toes. And so when he finds out all the cell doors are open, all the shackles are off the prisoners, he's thinking to myself, I might as well just go ahead and kill myself, because if I don't, they will. And I can do it quicker than they'll do it. And so as he's preparing to commit suicide, Paul and Silas, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, cry out to him, Do thyself no harm. Everybody is still here. We must let people know, even those who are enemies, that we love Jesus and that we really care about Him. A divine earthquake has freed Paul and Silas. I told you earlier they could have escaped, but they chose not to. Because they understood it was God's will and God's plan that they be in that prison. For the purpose of witnessing to that jailer. I don't know if they knew all the specifications and details of how it would occur. But they knew they were supposed to be there. And so they stay in their cell. They holler out to the jailer, do not take your life. All of us are still here. Nobody has escaped. It's okay. 
Now that was an act of kindness, wasn't it? I mean, what would you and I have done? We're getting away. Finish yourself off. No, that was an act of kindness. They were concerned about the jailer's life. More importantly, they were concerned about his soul. Because if he would have committed suicide at that point, he wouldn't have went to heaven. You know, somebody has wisely said, people do not care how much we know, do they know how much we care? When you witness to people, you've got to witness truth, but you've got to mix it with love. Because truth without love is nothing but legalism. And legalism crucified our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the flip side of that, you've got to love people, but you've got to tell them the truth. Because love without truth is liberalism. And liberals also crucified Jesus. So people need to know we care. And when they know we care, they will give us an audience with their ear and with their mind and with their heart. Paul and Silas have witnessed to this jailer because they have an opportunity to do so because they showed him they cared about him. We care about your life, we care about your soul, we care about your family. And that made an impression on that jailer. Now one of the things I find interesting is Paul and Silas didn't go to the jailer. He came to them. You see, when God is at work, He will bring people to us. We won't have to go for looking for people. He will even bring our enemies to us. He might do it in a way we would never imagine. But He will even bring our enemies to us that we might have a chance to share of Him with them. And that's what Paul and Silas do. Not just with Him, though, because He takes them out of the cell under His escort and He takes them back to His house. He introduces them to his wife and to his children. And he says, tell us how we can be saved. And Paul and Silas explained to him the gospel, to his family the gospel. And the Bible says when they heard the word of God articulated and explained, they came under conviction, they said yes to Jesus. They were gloriously saved, all of them. So much, in fact, that He fixed up their wounds, fed them a nice meal, and then Paul baptized the whole family before they went back to the prison. What a story. And it all happened because Paul and Silas cared about that jailer enough to keep him from taking his own life and cared about his soul enough not to let him take his own life and cared about his family enough that they wanted to go back and share the faith with them so the family wouldn't be divided in eternity. In closing, 
The story is told of an old woman that lived next door in a neighborhood to some of her neighbors. The old woman had a name, Crotchety Old Alice. Aren't you glad that's not your name? Or maybe it is, you just don't know it. Crotchety Old Alice. She never met a person that she didn't dislike. Be they human or be they animal, she didn't like people. She didn't like animals. You come to her house and she's going to tell you off. You come to her house, she's going to run you off. A cat comes to her yard, she's going to chase the cat off. A dog comes to her yard, she's going to kick the dog off. I mean, she's just a mean old woman. Y'all know anybody like that? Don't, pay, don't point. Just, just keep it to yourself. And nobody in the neighborhood had anything to do with her. She was just mean. But there was a Christian family next door that believed it was their responsibility to try to reach her for Christ. But every time they'd try to talk to her, she would dismiss them. Every time they tried to do something nice for her, they'd they'd run her off. She would run them off. And so after 10 years, they pretty much thought it ain't never going to happen. She just kept getting meaner and meaner. And older and older. Well, lo and behold, one day something happened. Because they were praying for her. Had been praying for her. A long time praying for her, but they never gave up. Old crotchety Alice had a stroke. And it was a pretty big stroke. It debilitated her. It took her speech. It took one half of her body. She no longer could live by herself, but she had no family. Her family wanted nothing to do with her. She had no friends. Her friends wanted nothing to do with her if she had any. So alone and by herself, she was put in a nursing home. Unable to speak. Unable to use one side of her entire body. It was dead. But her mind was still good. She never got any visitors. Zero. Except for that Christian family that lived next door to her. They came in every week and they visited with her. She waved them off every time they came. She threw things at them every time they came. But they kept coming back with snacks, though she would throw the snacks on the floor. They kept coming back with flowers, though she would knock the flowers off the table. They kept coming back telling her about all the neighborhood news. And she'd shake her head. And they would always close each visit by reading her the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And every time they would read it to her, she would stare at them with that devilish look. If I could get my hands on you, I'd strangle you. Week in, week out, that family came. And each time they were exposed to a grouchy, crotchety old woman 
who tried to run them off, but she couldn't. But they kept praying. And eventually, she started warming up to them a little bit. She would knock the snacks off on the floor. She would actually receive them and even eat one. She wouldn't knock the flowers off on the floor. She would look at them and somewhat smile. She seemed to appreciate when they would tell her about the news that was going on in the neighborhood, what was going on on the outside because she didn't get any news. And now she would just stare with no expression when they read the 23rd Psalm. Well, this went on for a while, and the Mater family, that's what they were called, the Maters, went there one week to pay her a visit. They brought some cookies. They brought a little bouquet of flowers. They sat and talked with her a while. But they had an appointment, ladies and gentlemen. And they had to cut the meeting or the visit short. And so they decided they would not read the 23rd Psalm. They didn't really think it mattered anyway. So as they got up to leave, she began to wave her hand at them. And she pointed to the Bible that one of them had in her hand. She pointed to it. And she went. She wanted them to read the 23rd Psalm. It kind of shocked them. I thought maybe she was having another stroke. But she, she was clear. She couldn't talk, but it was clear what she wanted. So they read her the 23rd Psalm again. She's already heard it 300 times. But they read it to her again. The Lord is my shepherd. And when he said that, the man who was reading it, she goes like this. He's my shepherd too, is what she was saying. On that day, old crotchety Alice gave her life to Jesus. She changed in the years that she would have remaining. She left her great estate. She was a very wealthy lady. Nobody knew that. All the money to the church. And all of that happened because somebody chose to love her when she was unlovely and unlovable. Isn't that a wonderful story? May that story be true for us one day. May there be somebody in heaven that we spent some time loving on who hated us. But because of our love and our persistence and our prayers, because it was obvious that we knew Jesus, they wanted to know Him. God help us be ready. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.